Welcome to Empirical Discussions, part of the Empirical Evidence blog about all things cannabis. I'm Nick Johnson, historian, editor, and author of the book Grassroots, A History of Cannabis in the American West. Today we are talking about talking about cannabis, that is, the lively discourse surrounding the plant. Every day there are literally hundreds of media reports, blogs, and political messages published on the controversial herb, but how well are these sources really informing us, and whose views do they truly represent? How should we be looking at and understanding the hundreds of facts and opinions regularly offered up about cannabis? These questions are the backbone of Jacob Levine's new book, Cannabis Discourse, Facts and Opinions in Context. A self-described cannabis enthusiast, Levine joins the podcast today from Israel to talk about how we talk about weed. Jacob, hello, and thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about your background in the cannabis world and what about that experience led you to write the book? Yeah, of course. Um, so I've actually gone into the cannabis industry two years ago. Um, I had a customer service job, which I didn't like, so I just quit. I um, decided to get into something that I liked and that I enjoyed. And so I thought to myself, well, cannabis is something that I enjoy, so I will start uh, working in the cannabis industry. So I started writing for several cannabis companies and for European cannabis companies uh, that mostly sell seeds. So they are seed banks. And uh, I just wrote blogs and articles uh, as a ghostwriter. So um, about various topics like how to roll joints, uh, how to grow uh, plants indoors, how to grow plants outdoors, um, the legal status of cannabis in Austria, in Germany, in uh, Spain, what coffee shops all about, what cannabis clubs all about. So I, I've, I've written um, more or less like 60 or 70 articles and plenty of uh, uh, strain descriptions. And during that time, I wanted to really write something that expresses my views and my point of view without being edited. Because whenever I wrote all these blogs and articles, I actually um, I wrote as a ghostwriter. So all, these, um, all the content could be changed at any given point. And many times it was changed. And the message that I wanted to uh, mediate was changed. So I just wanted to write something that really expresses what I'm trying to say. So I started writing the book. So when I was started writing the book about cannabis, um, I wasn't sure how to approach it because I wanted to tell the world that yes, we need to legalize cannabis because it's good for medicinal use. Um, we need to legalize it because um, the criminalization of cannabis does much more harm than good. Um, so I wanted to take the very pro-cannabis approach, like the legalize it rant right. book. Right. So um, after I've been writing for like one or two months in this style, I note I just thought like I was reading a lot of different um, blogs and articles um, that 
take a more opposite approach, like they wanted to keep it prohibited, the different worries behind the legal cannabis industry. Right. And I started to sort of realize that, okay, I cannot speak, okay, I cannot speak about what the things that I have no idea what I'm talking about, like um, how cannabis is good for anxiety. Well, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Um, I cannot speak about the effects of cannabis. So I thought to myself, you know, what should I, um, how should I approach this if I'm not an expert in any field, really? So I realized that what I am not an expert, but what I'm knowledgeable about is what is going on in the media space. Uh, surrounding cannabis since I've written and I've read so many different articles blogs I've listened to plenty of podcasts uh, YouTube videos uh, news uh, reports and I just wanted to sort of consolidate everything that I've learned so right and what I I find really interesting about that is that you wrote a bunch of articles about cannabis and then they were being edited in a way that was spinning essentially the the gist of the the article to be more pro marijuana is that correct? And then you decided, what's the deal with this? You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we with these articles, um, they're sort of like they try to, um, they try to sort of like guide you to a specific point. So they want you to make a specific point writing a certain blog and article, but that's not necessarily the point that I want to mediate. To be honest, in most cases, uh, everything that I've written is actually not um, changed. So, like everything that I want to say has been said. Um, many times, also the person who wanted the article to have a certain conclusion, I wrote a different conclusion, and they kept my conclusion. So, it's, so I wanted to sort of like um, um, guide the blogs and articles in the correct way so to speak okay so they didn't run totally roughshod over your work no, uh, not, but... not always but but it's not only that it's um, i think it's also that they have the possibility of doing so in the future and i have no control over it you know i think that's the most important part um, just that i'm not in control over that content so I didn't want to put my name on it. Um, so yeah, after after writing, I just decided that I need to write something that's completely mine, and I can defend it. If that makes sense. Sure. And yeah. I'm still curious about the process of writing the book. So once you figured out, okay, I'm not going to write a pro legalization book. I'm going to write a book about the discourse. Um, yes. You note in the book that you know it's informed by hundreds of articles and blogs, as well as debates and videos, other media sources. That must have yes. been a pretty painstaking process to go through all those sources. What was that process like? Did you have any kind of standard approach to whatever it was you were reading or looking at? Um, how did the book come together in that regard? That's a very good question. So um, I sort of, the way I thought about it was I had certain topics which I want. Actually, first, um, now that I think of it, uh, what I've been doing in the beginning, I just read and I've listened to everything because I just wanted to know exactly what's going on. And then I started to see patterns. 
I see things that repeat themselves very often. So I just kept note of the things that are repeating themselves, um, like the ideas surrounding canvas that are repeating themselves, like the gateway drug theory. Um, it more or less presents itself in every single argument uh, for or against cannabis. So I wanted to explore that. For cannabis? Uh, so explain, how, how does the gateway drug theory come up in articles that are pushing cannabis or pushing for its legalization? Okay, of course. So, um, for example, the, there was the uh, Oakland University of Cannabis. I'm not sure what's exactly called. Oaksterdam. Oaksterdam. Yeah, yeah, yeah Oaksterdam, exactly, yeah. yeah. So there was a, a person, I think a student or a teacher, who included in the video saying the gateway drug theory has been completely abolished by scientists. Uh, cannabis is not a gateway drug. Okay. So in that sense, it was um, using the gateway drug theory pro-cannabis, if um, that makes sense. It's more like abolishing the gateway drug theory, which is... Um, right, so there's this, there's this yeah. perception among pro-legalization uh, people to kind of directly engage this because they they see it as a dominant uh, story and in, in why cannabis should be illegal so they just are preemptively discussing why it's bogus you know according to their point of view right yes exactly and yeah. then i realized that um, both sides are quite bogus <laughs> because, <laughs> because they probably and here's what i discovered i actually found this really good um, study by um, linsky and hall and they just um, talk about the cannabis being a gateway drug so they just break it down it's like a summary and what i realized is that the pro-legalization side they see the gateway drug theory solely from the um, pharmacological hypothesis so that um, when you smoke cannabis the cannabis itself causes you to take harder drugs. So because they see it from that specific perspective, uh, they say, yeah, it has been abolished because it is not proven, which is true. It's not proven. And they claim that the anti-side, um, they don't see, they don't take into account the predisposition that somebody has um, towards... Um, towards um, taking harder drugs or drugs in general. Right. So because they say that, they, they lean completely the gateway drug theory on the pharmacological hypothesis and the predisposition hypothesis. And so they say, yeah, it's um, not true. Basically, the anti-side, they claim that cannabis is a gateway drug because people who do harder drugs are more likely to consume cannabis. And right. this has been proven. Um, and this has been proven in a couple of studies. So uh, basically, they say, yeah, well, you can see that most people that do heroin have consumed cannabis are more likely to have consumed cannabis previous to consuming heroin right. and therefore cannabis is clearly a gateway drug because right. if they didn't use cannabis they would use heroin right and so, so, so both sides are making problematic assumptions and exactly cherry picking yes. the science to conform with those assumptions yes exactly it's sort of like they they are both right and wrong to, because they have 
their own definitions. Right, and this is this gate. is definitely problematic. And I'm going to ask you. I'm going to come back to this kind of issue uh, okay. later on. Um, but you know, while we're talking about the, kind of the structure and the process of the book, um, so yes. you know, like me, you chose to start your book with a discussion of what cannabis is and all the terminology associated yes. with it. Um, from your perspective, how does the terminology affect the discourse? So, in other words, how do the words we use about cannabis affect the way we think about it and form our opinions about it? From what I think, we have this uh, concept that we have cannabis and marijuana. You know, yeah. we should not use the word marijuana. So. There are two aspects why people don't want to call it marijuana. One is the, the racist aspect, the fact that um, the word marijuana has been established um, during the 1910 and 1920s when the Mexicans uh, came during the Mexican Revolution to the U.S. And this word was used to associate uh, the racist attitude that people had towards Mexicans um, with this drug, right. which it, is it, exot- it exoticized it. It made it foreign sounding. Exactly, and you know, and every, and we should and, we should mention here that the yeah. the body politic or uh, the a lot of the officials who um, were familiar with you know medicine and all that were familiar with cannabis. Um, they considered it hemp. Of course, hemp had been in the country for a long time at that point. And there was even medicinal cannabis, which they referred to as Indian hemp or cannabis indica. So there was an awareness exactly. of what cannabis was, even psychoactive yes. cannabis. But there yeah. was this distinction that was made in the press and then later by um, anti-drug officials that yes. tied it specifically to Mexicans and Mexican immigrants in order to exoticize and racialize uh, the substance. So that, that is the context that, that we're referring to here. Okay, um, yeah, what you said is um, true from what I understand, um, that they sort of changed the word word because it was like branding. You know, they wanted to brand it as something that's evil and a scourge. So um, basically, a lot of people don't want to use it now, the word uh, marijuana, but I think um, I don't like the concept of stripping away the language of um, of certain of people, you know, of right. certain of no, people. No, it's, it's absolutely part of the culture. Yeah, it's a it's a deep yeah, deep. it's a part of their culture. I don't think I have the right, you know, to say yeah, we should strip it away because it was racist. Well, and not well, only that, the same, and not yeah. only that, but I mean, the word isn't racist. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. it, it, you know they use it like they use it. Uh, they call um, cannabis for marijuana, so I don't see why not. The second reason why I don't. The second reason why uh, people want to change the word uh, marijuana to cannabis is because they want to brand it as something new, like something, it's a medicine, it's not this drug that you used to think about, right. it's cannabis. However, it's almost, it's almost like an authenticity, it's, it lends an area of authenticity to it. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I think that is also neglecting a little bit the fact that there are so many people who went to prison and there are so many people who were criminalized and stigmatized you know, um, because of marijuana. And now we're trying to sort of like 
you know, shut out that history by calling branding it something new. It's almost like we're we're doing the same thing as as Anslinger did with uh, calling cannabis for marijuana. Right. You know, that, sort of like we're that trying is, to. Uh, that's Harry Anslinger, yeah. who was the former head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics during the era of cannabis prohibition. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. That, yeah. Just just for our, just for <laughs> listeners who who don't know who Harry Anslinger was. Yes. Yeah, that's very good. So, um, yeah, so I don't think um, we should be doing the same thing. I think we can call it marijuana just to, like, you know, prove also the point that, you know, in the history, people were actually stigmatized for this marijuana and not that marijuana was something separate from this new cannabis which we are consuming today. Right. So that, that's why I think in terms of the words and how they can affect um, uh, today's uh, discussions and today's opinions. Right. And, and even just Googling, you know, if you go to Google News and you type in cannabis, you see a lot more stories that uh, just they seem a little bit more uh, authentic. They seem a little bit more objective. They seem a little bit more you get more of the science articles, you know, that kind of yes. thing. If you go to Google News and you type in marijuana, you get these articles that say marijuana use increasing among older adults. There's kind of this alarmist uh, discourse yeah. when you use yeah. the, when you use the word marijuana or when the press uses the word marijuana. It kind of is in this context of this uh, this alarmist uh, view of the plant and and the drug. Um, so that's just one thing I noticed. You know, with those two words in particular, um, and we could have an entire podcast just about. Yeah. cannabis terminology that's for sure i'm sure you having written a book on it would agree with me on that um, yes definitely so one of the things that i found interesting about the cannabis discourse kind of as a whole is there's this tendency to discuss cannabis and its effects in a vacuum uh, as if it should be considered outside the context of other drugs both illegal and legal um, and you talk about this in your book when you say quote Cannabis is tied by its policy history and semantics with hard drugs, independent of its physiological effects, end quote. Uh, so what, in your opinion, is the most productive way to talk about cannabis in the context of other drugs? And I think, um, just to, to preempt this here, I think the, the media is doing a little bit better job of this, um, but there's still this tendency to talk about cannabis as if it should be considered on its own. You know that's a that's a very good um, question. I I'll give you an example. Like in the medical world world of cannabis, um, all the scientists that speak about you know cannabis, there is this sort of there is this underlying thing. Like when you read between the lines, that we want to like get away from as far as possible from the idea that cannabis is for getting high. And that we are strictly talking about cannabis for medicinal use. And also we want to uh, move away from the THC high for medical purposes. So trying to put CBD as this kind of like on a pedestal that it's medicinal and it doesn't get you high. Right, it's the, it's However, the good cannabinoid, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then you know, everybody goes home, uh, has a glass of wine, and nobody cares. <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's, there's this, um, th that's what I mean, that's just talked about on its own right, which is very strange. Like, we rarely zoom out, like, peanuts, for example. I mean, 
like how many people do peanuts kill a year because of allergies you know whilst if uh, how many people have died from eating cannabis however when we talk about edibles suddenly there was a higher percentage of kids who went to hospital which is you know it's terrible but they went into the hospital because of eating um, edibles um, by accident but we don't speak about all the problems surrounding peanuts and people dying from peanuts you know it's like we are living in this bizarre world so i just think the best way to discuss cannabis is to compare it with so many different things that we're doing other uh, substances like um, heroin or alcohol or speak about alcohol as a drug that we get high from you know like that is also one of the things why we accept alcohol i think partially it's language you know like just the fact that yeah we we get drunk or we get tipsy and alcohol is um, just a drink you know it's not a drug Nobody calls that alcohol a drug. We always separate those words, you know. We separate, we usually say drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes, you know, which is, uh, which says everything. Even scholars, even scholars, you know, there's a... even I, even I do this. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's just kind of baked in, but there's a society for the history of alcohol and drugs. Yeah, exactly, and uh, it's the separation, and I think uh, when we just mentioned that, you know, alcohol is also a substance, you know, it's a drug. However, when you say drugs and people have certain ideas about drugs, it's sort of like, okay, so another thing I want to actually get into is um, we should also compare it to different behaviors, right? Because in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Manual, Statistic Manual, (laughs) I don't know the abbreviation exactly, but it's... uh, it's uh, written by the American Association Psychological mm-hmm. Association. Yeah. Uh, you see, I'm not an expert. You the, know, like I, I've right, written a- it. I've re- the yeah. APA, yeah. Yeah, the APA, exactly. So um, they changed the classification uh, of gambling, and they put it into the substance uh, disorder. Category. I'm not exactly sure what the category was called, but it's in the substance category. And that is very fascinating that a behavior that it's not only substances that we take from the outside that can uh, create negative effects for us, but also substances which we create endogenously that can also uh, be negative like if you go gambling you can you get like dopamine in your head and then you just start gambling even more and then it's even more dopamine and then you're addicted to this dopamine and then your life you know can get ruined which is really sad you know so um if you also compare so we should also compare substances like cannabis to certain behaviors you know and then how far does it go how far um, should we speak about behaviors as uh, as drugs? You know, maybe uh, if you have OCD, maybe if you're a sex addict or if you're an adrenaline addict, um, you know. So if you s- just, I don't know, I, I would just take it from a broader picture. From right, like a, right. And, you know, for reference, yeah, um, yeah and you do talk about this in your book, Um and yes. yeah, you reference the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 
um, yes. which is shorthanded DSM five, and um, you, you have a discussion of you know cannabis and you know whether uh, it fits you know these kind of uh, criteria, um, and so that's that's in the book, and that's that's an excellent uh, point about context, not just in um, not just related to other drugs, but in the, the specific behavior of cannabis users versus um, other behaviors that maybe don't even involve drugs. Um, like you're saying, like gambling. Um, another one that comes to mind is video games. You know these kinds of uh, yeah, exactly. things where you're not yeah. you're not ingesting something, but you are creating uh, you know a dopamine response in the brain that can trigger um, a, a craving. You know of yeah. sorts of sorts. So I want to get back to something that you put in your book about um, a section that really got me thinking about things uh, beyond cannabis. Um, you know, you make an argument that both pro and anti weed sources often use this veil of objectivity uh to lend that lend their arguments more credence you know and so um you know you're you're basically arguing that one must take all these articles with a grain of salt um yes this may be a bit frustrating to some readers you know because it seems like you're saying that no matter what you read about this plant it's been spun in some way and you shouldn't really believe it or you should you know question it um do you believe there is some objective truth on cannabis being reported out there um and you know this goes back to you know your are just what we're talking about with video games you know do you think that's a legitimate point you know do you think that um that's not just a talking point for the pro marijuana people um you know is the oh well we wouldn't legalize you know wouldn't make video games illegal i mean is that is that a a, a responsible statement um is that an apt comparison you know and in other words you know amidst all this spin that we're talking about and amidst all these ulterior motives is there some objective truth on cannabis being reported? Okay, that, that's actually a very good question because I was like struggling with this very myself. How should I, like, like during the entire year when I was writing this book, the one thing that I was really struggling with was I cannot, I need to be as objective about this as possible, even though you know, that's quite impossible because even my objective idea, you know, is very subjective, what I presented. Like, just the fact that I'm speaking about cannabis is very subjective, you know. So, um, is there any objective um, information out there when, when it comes to cannabis? So, I think there is. You know, I think there's anecdotal evidence which is very true like for example if i consume cannabis for my crohn's disease and it makes me feel good well you know there's there's some truth there if there are so many people who say that it helps them there's definitely some truth there i just in the media space i would just be careful when reading stuff by companies that are selling something where um, how to? I think this discussion goes into many different elements. So I'll try to. Not well, and you talk go. about you know a corporation, yeah. but I mean news news media. They're corporations, you know, and they yes. are selling the news essentially. And uh, marijuana is a marijuana news sells. It sells a lot of papers, and you know that we have a a large record of that going all the way back to you know the beginning of the twentieth century and all these sensational reports about marijuana. It's a very uh, it's a it's a surefire click uh, on a headline if you include marijuana in it. You know more often than not. Um, yeah. 
because of this, it's kind of just been a, a lightning rod for controversy, you know, more so since the 1960s, you know, and the counterculture movement and all that. Um, but yeah. so, so this is not, I mean, you know, you could look at any, any article, even one from NPR, you know, and look at it and really think about, you know, how they're trying to portray marijuana in order to get as much engagement with that article as possible. Yeah. Exactly. So it's sort of like feeding the people, you know, Um, it's like a confirmation bias, sort of like people just want to confirm their own beliefs and then the media companies just provide it for them. So, you know, like there are like sort of objective, I'm quoting with my fingers, you know, objective uh, news um, out there about uh, cannabis. I was just being very cautious about um, for example, statements which say, yeah, um, I, I've included this in my book, uh, that uh, there's a website, I think, Cure Your Cancer, something website, yeah. and they have an article about how CBD treats uh, cancer, and then they have actual products which they sell, which are CBD products. So, of course, they would not, like, even if something would come across as, like, oh, CBD doesn't actually cure cancer, then, I mean, it's not in their financial interest to include it. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. I'm just saying that it's not in their financial interest. Right. Well, getting back back to the objective uh, stuff out there, what what are some good websites? What are some reliable places where people can get information about cannabis? I think for me, I think for me, this is a very interesting question because I don't, like... Even though I want to be as objective as possible, I don't actually believe in objectivity. Like, I believe that everything has a spin. Like, even my book, I'm trying to sort of, my agenda is to sort of bring people together, to bring the conversation together and for people not to just polarize away from each other. Um, And I guess that is like my agenda. So if you read my book, you need to keep that in mind. you, you just need to keep in mind just taking information. Because here's the thing, like even if something is very subjective, like very uh, salesy, like, yeah, cannabis cures cancer, buy my stuff, there is some truth in it, you know? And I think there's... Right, there's uh, some truth, but I think what I'm getting at is that yeah. are there sites, you know, are there news organizations? Yeah, like specific question. Like, yeah. is there something that I can read yeah. which will give me the information that and, I need? And I'm not talking about 100% objectivity. You know, I'm, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. what is the most truthy stuff out there? Like, where, where can you find where can you find information that is mostly true about cannabis? Maybe I, okay. I, should, so I should rephrase it. Not, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, so, for example, I take David Nutt's studies. Uh, David Nutt was a governmental uh, drug tester. I'm not sure exactly what the, uh, his position was called, but he was um, he, he was telling the government which uh, drugs are the dangerous. US, the U.S. government? Uh, not in the U.K. Okay. And David Nutt was sacked from his position because he he showed that alcohol is actually more dangerous than cannabis, you know. And for presenting this, he got sacked. So um, his study, 
it's it's really good study because it was recreated in many European countries with virtually the same results. And he wasn't only the study wasn't only looking at the uh, whether it's good or bad for you. It it was uh, how dangerous is this drug in various contexts. So the drug related deaths, the drug specific deaths, uh, motor skills, cognitive ability. Like there's just a list of 20 different um, uh, aspects. So f for your listeners, you should check out The Lancet um, and type in just David Nutt, The Lancet Study, and you'll see this graph. Um, and this graph has been recreated with virtually the same results. So I think there is truth there, you know, okay. like how... Um, Here's yeah. the thing, like, I do not know exactly, maybe this will change in the future. However, it's, you know, if we rely every day on scientific data, I think this data is fairly reliable. Right. You know? So other than, but that's like, a, again, that's in the scientific. That's a very specific, yeah, like, let me, yeah. let me get the point. Yeah. So even though this is just one thing you know you you're you're asking more about different news sites different articles but just the fact that alcohol and tobacco are more dangerous both for the individual and society that already opens up many different questions that opens up so many different truths you know like um, how is it that alcohol is more dangerous and we can go to a pub and not to a coffee shop how is it that uh, I um, can't consume cannabis for medical reasons, you know, whilst I can get drunk uh, at home? Why is, you know, um, there are many different conversations surrounding sure. just sure. that fact. And that's where I would find my truth. For me, I just compiled everything that was very biased and very everything that had a lot of agenda in it, and I was just sort of compiling what well, people how about, believing about. What What yeah. if we did this? What if I gave you a specific example uh, right now? Okay, how, let's yeah. just let's take this NPR article that I just found. Okay. Okay. Let's take this one. This one says this is from uh, today. It says yeah. more older Americans are turning to marijuana. Okay. So yeah. uh, the lead starts, members of the generation that came of age in the era of marijuana are reaching for weed in their golden years. So this is, of course, referring to hippies who are getting older, essentially. Um, yeah. It says, a study published in the journal Drug and Alcohol Dependence this month suggests that increasing numbers of middle-aged and older adults are using marijuana and using it a lot. Uh, the analysis comes from data gathered in the National Survey on Drug Use and Health from 2015-2016, about 9% of U.S. adults between ages 50 and 64 used marijuana in the previous year. Okay, so this is just basically citing the study. Yeah. Um, but then they have um, uh, other quotes in here um, from, for instance, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, Medicine. Um, this article, I, I have to admit, upon you know just reading it, seems pretty well done. You know, it, it seems okay. like they present the scientific study. They don't presented in a sensationalist way. Um, they just kind of say the conclusion of the study and then they have some input from doctors who, who seem to be cautioning use of marijuana among older people, but also admitting that, yes, it could be helpful and why should we 
uh, why should we rule it out if you know we're prescribing other medications that might be more harmful for seniors? So is this an example of an article that you know might someone might read and you know you don't have to worry about any kind of spin here? Okay, um, I understand your question. So first, I would need to read the article. The second, from my position, like I, for example, if somebody, if there's a study that says something, except of the David Nutt study, which I'm pretty convinced it's it's a good one. Um, when when there are some statistics, I'll, to be honest, like my position would be I don't know exactly. But this is what people are talking about. This is what is important for people. So that is the point also with this book. You know, I'm not actually, if you noticed in my book, I'm not making a lot of uh, claims after the, um, when it comes to the discourse itself. Um, Because I just don't know. I'm not an expert. I would just read this article and I would think uh, to myself, okay, so these studies uh, showed, like shown, um, what are the specifics of these studies? You know, do they um, handpick certain uh, time frames to show the statistics are you know very good, very bad? What is this website selling? Are they not selling anything? Is it just news? Who's writing it? I'm I'm not sure. Like th- that's my point. Like I, it's not like I am searching for truth in articles i just want to figure out mostly what's going on right no i I understand i understand your approach no but here's the thing it's it's a very good question this is something that i just need to think about a bit more how to answer this because i think this is something that i have been struggling a lot with uh, during whilst i was writing this book like what is true like I almost had like this moment which was really infuriating which is like what is true and what is not true I, I have no idea I was like a philosopher in the 17th century or something you know, yeah just like... no I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest I yeah. had the same I ran into the same problems writing my book you know I mean there were so many times where um, I thought I knew what the plant was and how to yes. define it right for instance um, hemp not being psychoactive not having any psychoactive properties right so um, I was pretty sure from what I read, like 99% sure at one point writing the book that hemp doesn't have any psychoactive properties and these people who, you know, have these claims about being intoxicated by hemp plants are, you know, they got to have to have the plant wrong and all of that. And, um, but then I read this study from the 1930s uh, that uh, talked about, um, you know, you basically ex- extract uh, cannabinoids from hemp, you know, uh, with a a solution and uh you, you know you can um get psychoactive cannabinoids from hemp that way and you, then you can administer them orally um yes so so then that threw me into a whole loop because i'm like well i thought hemp wasn't psychoactive what's going on i don't know anything anymore you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that that happened several times during the writing of the book where i i, I thought i had enough information you know the species the species of cannabis you know how many different species are there? Well, I read some convincing uh, genetic studies that uh, said that there are three different species. There's cannabis indica, sativa, and uh, ruderalis. Um, you know, sativa is uh, is hemp, and um, and indica is all the drug varieties. And uh, you know that seemed to be confirmed by some of the other things that I read. And then I talked with a, a, an actual person who was doing a, a new evaluation of can- of cannabis genetics. 
and he convinced me that it was all one species. So, yeah. um, you know, both both of those arguments had, you know, what I thought was uh, convincing uh, data behind them. Um, but given that the uh, the one species argument was a newer one that was just coming out and was kind of building off of those previous studies in the past that I knew were or I thought were legitimate, um, it seemed to me that, OK, they're not just discrediting this previous speciation theory because they want to propose something else. They're actually looking at it, reevaluating it and finding out something different. Um, and, and so that's what, you know, led me to that. But, but again, you know, you think, you know, the terms to use and you think, you know, the taxonomy, and then all of a sudden you speak with uh, one, one expert or you read something else and uh, you're, you're back to square one again, almost, you know, so. I understand. So, so I was at the same point, like when I was writing my book, and I realized that I actually know so little that um, I just want to sort of get, like, just present what is going on in the world. I just want to know, like, what uh, what's going on with cannabis, what people's ideas are about uh, cannabis, um, and I want to present that. Uh, I would like to, of course state more facts about cannabis but to be honest there's so little that we know about this plant like even scientists here in israel you know that's you know like one of the leading countries um, in terms of cannabis technology and just extraction methods and um, cannabis as medicine they you know here a lot of people the scientists don't know a lot you know and they admit it and they need to know more and so yeah, and and for listeners who don't yeah. know, Israel is an Israeli scientist, uh, Dr. Mishulam, um, which I probably did not pronounce correctly, um, but he is the Mishulam. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was the one who um, discovered THC. Um, so so the Israel has a long history of cannabis science, and um, they have a lot of uh, great work to build on, and, and you know even they don't know everything about it. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I actually, I can actually mention this. So I'm working at a company now called ICANN, and uh, what we are doing is we are providing uh, services for uh, creating medical cannabis. So different clinical trials, uh, business development, a lot of consulting work. So we are just trying to connect the world to the Israeli technology when it comes to cannabis. And yeah, that's basically what we're doing. And this is what I'm working with. So I'm working in, with, in ICANN um, right now. I'm writing content. I'm going to be writing articles. I just started last week. So I'm very excited about my position. And um, yeah, it's, um, I'm trying to find out just, more. So yeah. I, it's funny that you're excited about your position, even though you just wrote a book about how all these cannabis articles are basically not valid yes. because <laughs> so yeah, exactly you, so you're gonna throw yeah, you're, gonna, yeah. you're gonna jump back into the fire knowing with all this stuff rattling around in your head about how the discourse is tainted from either direction you know and um i it, it's just very courageous of you you know it seems like it would induce a lot of anxiety no actually not i mean because i am like i never present myself as an expert Right? I never present myself as somebody who knows exactly the specific, how specific compounds affect your uh, CB1 or CB2 receptors, the cannabinoid receptors which we have in our bodies. Um, I would present it more from 
I would basically write articles exactly how I wrote my book, saying, okay, this is what this media source says, this is what they are saying here, here are the problems, here are the pros and cons uh, of this specific conversation. And this is how I'll be writing from this point of view. Hmm. And of course, you know, I want the medical cannabis industry to go forward. Now, I want us to learn more about uh, cannabis. Um, especially, I know that helps me a lot with my Crohn's disease. To change the subject here, not okay. not terribly, but to change the subject a little bit. Um, yeah, no you know, your book is exclusively focused on cannabis discourse, but yes. as I was reading parts of it, you know, such as your your discussion of how news outlets report scientific studies. Yes. I thought that the lessons that you outline in the book can be applied to really any discourse. Um, okay, so let me explain. Um, so, yes, exactly. And when I wrote, a couple of points are quite um, more specific to cannabis. However, there are many points, especially the chapter How to Read Between the Lines um, in my book. Um, many of these uh, parts are basically relevant to virtually anything that you're reading, like any articles and blogs. Right. I just want to show some examples specifically from cannabis uh, discourse, how it works in that space. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I thought it's you know particularly applicable to things like you know fracking, um, energy development. Yeah. Uh, living in Colorado, that's a big controversial issue, and we see hundreds of news articles about it, you know, every week. And, um, you know, it's, it's often very difficult to tell um, because, you know, the energy corporations have gotten very good at using that veil of objectivity um, and citing science and, and, you know, using science um, as a, to bolster their arguments, um, uh, which, you know, I'm sure scientists are, are not happy about in general, <laughs> the way that their uh, research is used and kind of manipulated yeah, um, but so was that an intentional thing, Jacob? Did you when you when you decided to write the book um, on cannabis discourse and to kind of help people navigate it a little bit? Was part of your thought press process that I want also readers to understand that this is how you can read any news article in general? Yeah, I. Um, this is a good question because I was thinking also. This is more from my broader understanding of what I want to mediate. It's I don't only want to mediate the truths or what I want to talk about with cannabis, um, which I'm very enthusiastic about, but it's also about where we are as a society, as, um, as people. And I think we are very polarized, you know, and I just wanted to give sort of an understanding that there are different ways of thinking about things. Like there isn't just one mode of logic, you know, there are several ways that you can spin things to convince you of one thing or another, you know. So this isn't specifically about, um, I mean, this book is about cannabis, but the lessons that mediating with especially with that chapter how to read between the lines um, I'm, I'm trying to sort of mediate um, just just an idea that we can um, that we need to understand different points of views and we need to understand that there's 
you can spin everything. You know, you can spin scientific data. You can take quotes from Harvard-educated professors, and you can just spin it in your own way. And uh, these things can be used for good or for evil. You know, so right. I think uh, this is something that we need to I mean, uh, keep and, in mind. And it's almost depressing, isn't it? I mean, when you think about the fact that we really can't trust um, anything that we read to uh, as much as we would like to trust it, right? As much as our inclination is to trust it, right? Like, I um, think it's about how we read things, which is, uh, it's also why I wrote how to read between the lines. It's right. because it's not like what we read and consume, it's how we read it, you know? What is it, what are the lessons learned from uh, this article? We might understand the same article in different ways, you know, so it's it's just about how we can read it. I'm of course no expert, like philosophy, ethical, moral expert. You know, I'm trying to learn more. Uh, however, I know that this is a space where we need to just understand. You know, like it's also when we get off topic, like when it comes to wars and um, and different conflicts that we have. It's sort of like one person has one point of view and the other person has another point of view and we always assume that the other person is completely wrong you know but we don't understand that their mode of logic is just different it's not wrong it's just different and we need to just understand these things and uh, understand um, where we want to go as people you know Sure. There are many questions. I think this goes into so very deep conversations, which I don't even have an answer to. You know, no, and I'm, I'm yeah. trying to discover things whilst I go along. So. But I think you put forward in the book uh, a reliable and an effective strategy to read things about marijuana and to just kind of roll things around in your head a little bit about you know a, a, a particular uh, bias or or a, a why somebody would publish this information. Um, and, you know, as a historian doing, you know, archival research, you know, um, that's also something that uh, to keep in mind, you know, it's like, why would newspapers publish all these hysterical stories about marijuana? Um, is it really because it caused, you know, these violent psychotic outbursts among people and they were just doing their job as journalists to report this stuff? Or is there something, are they invested in it from a different way? Um, and I think the problem in, in here is that this kind of thinking takes time. That's kind of the problem there, too, is that people, given that we're just, just bombarded with all of this news about everything on a daily basis, I think people just have to make decisions about what sources they trust fairly quickly. And so, for instance, you get people who say, well, if it's not coming from the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Guardian, you know, I'm I'm going to be skeptical of it, and 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 that's there's a totally logical argument for that, right? But the fact is that not everything in those publications is reliable, and in order to get to parse out what's reliable and what's not, you have to um, critically evaluate it, which takes time, takes thought, takes energy, and we're just at a point in in I think global society where we are just very limited in all three of those categories. And so it's it's kind of a dangerous situation where we don't have the time or the technique or the energy to really critically evaluate all of these things that are coming I at think us. It, yeah, so um, I understand your point. Um, 
I think I think what we lack is understanding ourselves. You know, like um, there's always a context from which you are evaluating things, right? So even when you're evaluating something objectively, there is a certain spin to how you are evaluating it, you know, and also the very choice of the things that you are evaluating, how objective is the selection of the thing that you are evaluating, you know? Well, now we're getting, pretty, a, we're getting pretty abstract here, so... Um. Yeah, exactly, but, but it's it's very um, yeah. good question. I think, though, no, the, point, the point of the book is that, the point that I guess I'm trying to make about the book is that it, it opens up this whole philosophical realm that uh, I don't think people think about, you know, a lot. When I'm, they... I'm trying to sort of guide people right, right. You, you with open up... the language right. that they understand. You, yeah, you open up this whole philosophical realm that people don't necessarily enter when they read an article about marijuana, and I think this is very helpful because I do think we're at a point in our society where people read what they want to hear, you know, especially when it yeah. comes to weed, right? They're, you're either a fan of weed or you're not really a fan of it. Very few people are like, Eh, I could, you know, take it or leave it, right? Like, it's not really a subject that people really um, sit on the fence Don't on. Don't care about. Yeah, yeah they, they're not really Everybody on the fence about it. You know, they're either like, yeah. and, and I'm not saying people don't exist, but I'm saying most people, and this is reflective in the types of media that's, and types of content that's put out there on cannabis, you know, it seems to be all either for the pro people or, uh, or for the anti people. And your book, yeah. w- w- what I really appreciate about it is that it's directed at all of them, and it's saying, listen, let's just stop and think about what we're reading, how arguments are crafted for a second, let's just, you know, why would some... perceptions. Right, let's let's shed what we think we know, and let's just go back to the beginning. And I think that's very, very healthy for the discourse. So for that, you know, I thank you uh, for writing the book. I do have one last question for you, um, which, given our previous conversation, I don't know if you can answer or not, but... um, Hopefully, uh, you can. What has writing this book taught you about cannabis that you did not already know? Okay, so I would like to give like a very good concluding answer to this. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it taught me about um, <laughs> cannabis. I think what it taught me is just that there are different ways that we perceive cannabis, and I didn't understand. Um, the way people really think about cannabis before I wrote this book. Mm. I think that's that's the main point that I really learned about cannabis. All right. Well, Jacob Levine, thank you very much for joining me on uh, Empirical Discussions here. Um, Again, the book is Cannabis Discourse, Facts and Opinions in Context. Um, It was just published uh, this year in 2018. Um, It's available uh, on Amazon and um, at your your favorite uh, booksellers, I'm sure. Um, and uh, again, Jacob, I want to thank you for um, injecting a little bit of logic and a little bit more uh, sanity to to the discourse surrounding this uh, very controversial plant. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.